Hello again, witches, seekers, and friends, and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where we do a little ranting, raving, and wand waving. I'm your host, Paige, and together we are going to explore magic and spirituality, social justice, the psychic realm, and most importantly, reproductive freedom. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 63 of the podcast. Today's episode is kind of an extension from an episode I put out last year called Witches, Midwives, and Doulas, all about the role of midwives, herbalists, and medicine women in the history of witchcraft and, of course, women's rights. Today, we're focusing on another aspect of that role, which is the abortionist. The midwives of old didn't just, you know, catch babies, they also served as basically, you know, the village gynecologist. They helped people with miscarriages, abortions, uh, anything to do with menstruation and contraception. You know, often through the use of like herbal medicine and depending on the midwife, sometimes some ceremony and prayer. I got the idea to research and record this episode after a discussion thread I was a part of in a witch group on Facebook. And I'm not going to link to it just just in case. Um, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to share anybody's uh, business. Um, but a witch posted a question kind of like, um, does anyone know a spell or who to pray to so I don't end up pregnant? LOL. And it was like, you know, it was a half joking, but also half not. It's like, oh, no, there's a chance, you know, got my fingers crossed. It was it was kind of that. Many people got in there with actual like physical ways to do this, which is not what the person asked for, right? Like they were recommending like really strong herbs and teas and stuff. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know about all this. Um, (laughs) That's not specifically what she asked. And then some gave, you know, some magical suggestions. I was like, oh, I know Lilith is, is associated with this kind of thing, you know, and a few other people had said the same thing. And then there was like a very small faction. It wasn't a lot of people. It was just a few people um, that went in in this direction that kind of always just like breaks my brain. A few told her that praying to a goddess to end the life of an an innocent would blow back on her for sure. And other messages like this, you know, threefold law, blah, blah, blah. And childbirth is sacred to the goddess and we have magical wombs and that kind of thing. Just, it's just, it happens. It's just a lot. Um, and you guys know, I'm not really one to gatekeep witchcraft. You know, I don't, I don't think there's any sort of set rule for who can and cannot be a witch. Um, I don't even care if you are a witch, like if you actually practice witchcraft or not, if the archetype of the witch empowers you, I think that's really great and go with it. But this is one time when I really think that these people are fundamentally cut off from what being a witch means if you are anti-choice. And I say anti-choice instead of pro-life because I think pro-life is totally misleading. Anti-choice is the real problem. What you would do if you got pregnant at a time when you didn't want to be is your decision entirely. Just like it's everyone else's individual decision. If you don't agree with that, if you think abortion is evil and that those who get abortions or use contraceptives have some sort of like intense moral failing. I mean, first of all, what are you doing here? Like that's, <laughs> that's not what I'm about at all. The podcast isn't either. Uh, and second of all, this really flies in the face of the entire history of witchcraft and the archetype of the witch and the, the different people and um, 
cultural practices that went into building up this archetype that we are inspired by in our spiritual practice. So today I'm going to talk a little about, you know, the attitudes about abortion and concept, uh, contraception and how that affect women and witches. And I'm going to answer that question that was posted in the group. So I've got some practical info about sketchy herbs and magic rocks and some deities that you can use in magic for reproductive freedom. Now, before I get into that part, especially, I want to preface this by saying I am not offering any medical advice in this episode. If you want to learn how to cause an actual physical abortion with herbs, I am not in any way educated enough to give you that info. Even in the books that I recommend at the end of the episode, there still isn't enough info in there for you to do that safely. <laughs> like, I want to really be clear, you could die. Please don't. Please don't die. So there's not a single tool in this episode that I'm suggesting you insert your body anywhere for physical effects. Um, I'm talking about the magical energy of these things so that you can create a spell or a ritual when you need or want it. Likewise, these tools and spells do not take the place of a trained doctor or midwife or nurse or, you know, medical procedure, but are to be used, you know, in concert with treatment. So if you want something to help you make a decision, if you want something to help you stay safe through the process, if you want something to empower you, those are the kinds of things that we are talking about. Just wanted to be clear about that because I don't want you guys to get hurt. Um, in that group, a lot of people were recommending like, drink Penny Royal tea, but Penny Royal can be so, so poisonous. Like you, <laughs> you really, really can die. Um, and you can also just cause a whole bunch of other side effects. You know, you can with some, a lot of these herbs, you can do things like damage your liver. You can, you can, oh my God, give yourself some of the worst diarrhea you've ever had and totally drain your entire body of fluids. You know, it's just not pleasant. You don't want to hurt yourself. That's not the goal. <laughs> That's not the goal. So let's go back to one of my favorite places in time, which is pre-fucking history, man. Neat. Uh, before the first, you know, cuneiform was chiseled into stone, uh, people with uteruses were getting pregnant when they didn't want to be and looking for solutions. Abortion is older than religion. It's older than writing, older than civilization. <laughs> abortion is older than politics. Abortion even exists in the animal kingdom, and it's safe to say it predates the human race. So just in case it's, it's some, you think it's some newfangled thing the feminazis invented, it's not. <laughs> it's not, I promise. In the beginning, you know, methods of abortion were non-surgical, and they were based on observations that people had made in all different cultures and situations. And as they started to interact with each other and share that information, they collected information about what happened before they had a miscarriage or or what did this activity cause to happen in the womb? So things like strenuous physical labor and lifting heavy things, uh, heating up the belly. So like in a, in a very hot bath or a hot spring or with um, like a like a hot water bag, basically, with boiling water or steam uh, or restricting it. So something almost like a corset, right? Uh, in the modern era, actually, a lot of women still used like a girdle or a corset to restrict the belly so much that... Um, it, it couldn't happen. It couldn't grow. That is a very old method, <laughs> a very old method. And uh, of course, there is battery of the person's midsection, which again, I do not recommend. 
you know, falling down stairs or cliffs or any of that stuff. It really was not super safe. Some of it wasn't totally unsafe, but some of it was really super unsafe. <laughs> um, there was also a technique of abortion via massage of the belly of the stomach area, and that was practiced all throughout Southeast Asia. And actually, uh, one of the stone reliefs at Angkor Wat in Cambodia, it actually depicts the massage for abortion. Now, in ancient Greece and Rome, abortion was a very popular topic in ancient Greece and Rome, actually. Uh, it was the domain of midwives. And they used a lot of different herbal methods that we know of today, like the pennyroyal and rue and even birthwort, which can be used to help during labor. So it can bring on um, contractions and it can also cause a miscarriage or uh, premature birth, things like that. Surgical abortions, using sharp implements like rods and sticks and tape or candles, that always existed, but they were always known to be very dangerous. And so the herbal concoctions and um, hurting your belly and contraceptive plants were way more popular, way more popular. When it comes to the legality and implied morality of abortion, it's a much more complicated kind of timeline. What's really important, or what I think is really interesting, is that attitudes toward abortion have never been consistent across the board, or even across, like, city limits. Like, it has always been an, an issue, first of all, that everyone has to have an opinion about, I guess. Um, but it has always been divided. I thought that was kind of interesting. There was never a time when we uniformly agreed. <laughs> oh, way to go, humans. Uh, Greek philosophers and, you know, these early physicians, not the same as the doctors we have today, but these physicians, um, they had all sorts of opinions. And a lot of them are actually very interesting. They had, they were all, all these different philosophies where they had very different ways of looking at the world. So the Stoics, uh, you know, they prided themselves on looking at things in the most logical way. And they also wanted to go with the cycles of nature. So they took the way they thought or knew that nature worked into account with logic. And so that they believed that the fetus was actually more plant-like in nature, you know, metaphorically. It became an animal when it breathed air for the first time. I thought that was really, really neat. Um, and when you really like think about it in your head as a metaphor, you know, a fetus is like a seed or a sprout. It's setting down roots and taking in nutrients and getting water until it can bear fruit or grow to maturity. And it relies on that water or the liquid to survive. And if conditions become inhospitable, the plant can't continue to grow. That is so interesting because that is, that is very, I don't know, that's very accurate in this very kind of beautiful metaphorical way. Aristotle went in a really fun sexist direction and declared that abortion was forbidden after the baby gained a human soul, which was 40 days for male babies and 90 days for female babies. And I don't know, I don't know how Aristotle thought people could tell the biological sex of a fetus back then at 40 days or 90 days, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> I don't, I don't get how that one was supposed to work. <laughs> I had to read that like three times and I'm like, wait. <laughs> uh, so Serranus was a Greek physician who wrote like an entire treatise on gynecology um, that included some drawings of the shape of the uterus that, and I'm not joking, it kind of looks like, um, oh my God, it kind of looks like the pussy hat. 
Or maybe a balloon with cat ears. Like it's, <laughs> it is absolutely hilarious. Um, I'm always gonna picture my uterus as a, as a tiny cat face from now on. <laughs> uh, but he was actually a pretty neat or interesting guy. If you feel like looking into it, you can find copies of um, gynecology over the internet. Uh, but he recommended abortion for health, re health reasons and also in cases of emotional immaturity on the part of the pregnant person. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Man, talk about downright logical. These Greek philosophers and ancient physicians wrote a lot about historical abortions and miscarriages um, because they were studying more about human anatomy and, and the body. Um, it was very, it was a very popular topic of conversation, which might make it seem like it was incredibly plentiful at this time to, to seek abortions. But the honest truth about that is that history was not written by women or mothers or housewives, you know, in Athens, women were barely people, y'all, seriously. Uh, most of the methods and history of abortion is, it's lost because the ancient midwives you know, those ancient midwives, their knowledge wasn't considered relevant enough to warrant a place in history, especially not in medicine, by the vast majority of men the world over who controlled um, medicine for a very long time, like completely controlled the entire industry of medicine for a very long time. So they, they pushed midwives out. Not all doctors, obviously. Some learned from midwives, of course. Uh, some midwives became doctors later on. Of course, that still happens. Or vice versa. A lot of doctors become midwives, too. But their, you know, their sexism and their belief that women just couldn't be uh, medical professionals just kept them from getting good information about women's bodies and how a uterus works and all of that stuff. But even, oh my God, have you guys heard this? There's a new book out and there was a John Oliver segment, I'm sure. Um, in our century, it turns out that most of the drugs and the medical research done for humans in general is not done on women because their periods might skew the results. And even some drugs that are specifically for women have been tested on men. Like, isn't that wild? Very disturbing. <laughs> very, very disturbing. So I guess some things haven't changed. I hope they change soon. So for most of history, even where abortion was disliked or frowned upon or straight up illegal, people still performed them and sought them out with little interference. The 19th century is when we really started to see the kind of super anti-abortion and anti-choice beliefs that we're really familiar with now. This is when abortion really, really became a moral failing. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course, the 19th century isn't a wild coincidence that like the rise in this belief that, that women shouldn't be able to choose when they have babies was mostly pu pushed by the male doctors who, <laughs> who opposed midwifery and the unregulated medicine. And it just happened to rise at the same time as the women's movement. Those pesky women asking for rights. So just in case you ever thought, you know, these evangelical abortion bans were ever about anything other than controlling women, they was not. <laughs> they weren't. Though, I should mention that a lot of very prominent feminists strongly opposed abortion. Susan B. Anthony strongly opposed abortion. Margaret Sanger, uh, she opened the first ever birth control clinic in the U.S. She was a, a big proponent of contraception. And 
her birth control clinic and, and her methods went on to become Planned Parenthood. Like she is, <laughs> she's the creator of Planned Parenthood, basically. And she was very against abortion. She believed contraception was a woman's right, of course, and also that it was the way to eradicate abortion entirely. Isn't that wild to think about now? Really weird, right? Really interesting. Uh, that's what I mean. Attitudes about abortion, about re reproductive rights and freedom have flip-flopped and changed and gone back and forth for centuries, for all of human history, as far as we can tell. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. Paige, this is super fun, but where the witch is at, we're here, guys. <laughs> so we're going to talk about witchcraft and reproductive freedom. It comes as no surprise, I'm sure, that the first real connection between midwives and witches occurred during the witch trials, which of course were largely about sexism and the fear of women having any sort of power or sexual agency, right? Um, but in the main textbook for witch hunters, the Malleus Maleficarum, in a part of section one called, and this is the title, that witches who are midwives in various ways kill the child conceived in the womb and procure an abortion, or if they do not this, offer newborn children to devils. That's the title. It says... No one does more harm to the Catholic faith than midwives, for when they do not kill children, then, as if for some other purpose, they take them out of the room and, raising them up in the air, offer them to devils. So stupid. Apparently, witches were also at fault for erectile dysfunction, for failure to conceive in general, whether she'd administered any medicine or not. Um, and men being horny or too horny or not horny enough? That one I couldn't figure out. So he revisits the, this multiple times in subsequent sections and mentions that abortion is an act of evil carried out by a witch and that midwives are the ones that do abortion. So midwives, therefore, are the witches. Now, this this big, huge tome was, was used both in Europe and North America to convict and execute supposed witches, three quarters of which were, were women, right? The connection between midwifery and witchcraft remains to this day based in large part on this. The cool thing about that, the silver lining, is that this has actually led a lot of people to both midwifery and to witchcraft. You know, it kind of had the opposite <laughs> effect he wanted. I can't even count the number of witches I know who are or have employed a midwife or a doula. Likewise, I've met people who are new to witchcraft, who've worked as midwives or doulas, before and through that work were introduced to the concepts of witchcraft to the use of herbs and to other people with similar interests i mentioned this in the episode last year but most of the reason i first took the doula certification course was because it aligned a lot with my witchy beliefs and my interests in things like crystals and uh natural health at the time and because it gave me a way to help and connect with other women so that's a positive that came from this once very negative connection. The main reason I think being anti-choice and practicing witchcraft is an oxymoron is because witchcraft is all about choice. It's all about empowering someone to take power over their life and their choices into their own hands. That's not to say you have to be super into abortion. It means you have a choice. Being denied bodily autonomy isn't empowering. 
Being punished and shamed for your sexuality isn't empowering and is literally one of the core tenets of the witch trials. Like you're, you're kind of on the wrong side there. Telling someone what they can and cannot do with their life is not empowering. Making harsh rules about what you have to do and be to be a woman is not empowering. None of this is in line with what witches were and are and what they mean to women and to people who get pregnant and need options and information. Well, that's the cliff notes <laughs> of, uh, you know, the history of abortion. As we get into some of the practical stuff, like the herbs and crystals and deities, I've got a few more tidbits, but I will put all the sources I used in the description so you guys can do your own research on this. Over the last three years, I've shared a lot about my ongoing journey to better mental health. And I get messages all the time from listeners who are also struggling and looking for someone to talk to. Unfortunately, it can be very difficult to find therapy that is fully accessible, financially or otherwise. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is an online service that can connect you with real licensed counselors who can be available on your schedule and right where you are. With four different ways to communicate and a wide range of specialties, there's a good chance you can find someone perfect for you all without leaving home. Everything is confidential, and if you ever feel like your counselor isn't the right fit for you, you can switch right away. Not only is the service really affordable compared to in-person therapy, they also offer financial aid for those who need it. It's okay to need help. You deserve to get better, and you can start that journey at betterhelp.com slash fatfeministwitch and save 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash fatfeministwitch. You might be surprised to learn there is not a wealth of anti-fertility magic readily available on the internet. So a lot of this that I'm going to be sharing with you here is through my own research and through my own knowledge of, of magical plants and history and mythology. So if you find something different or some of this doesn't resonate with you, I encourage you to explore what does. What kind of energy do you associate with this issue with reproductive freedom and what kind of herbs represent that energy? I chose most of the, the sketchy herbs on this list, or all of them really, because they are either aminagogues or abortificients in real life. These are plants that can bring on menstruation or can cause an abortion or a miscarriage. When it comes to the, the magical energy and correspondences of plants, their role in medicine and society, it always factors in. So. That's why I, I took from this list. To use these in your practice, you can include them in incense if it's safe, in mojo or charm bags. You can use them as an offering to deities or decorate candles. You can, you can do whatever. Like I said, I'm not offering any sort of medical advice, which is why I don't recommend almost any of these for baths or teas unless you are incredibly skilled and know what you're doing. What I'm talking about is the magical and spiritual energy of these plants based on some of their historical medicinal uses. So the most famous anti-fertility herb in history was so popular that it is extinct. <laughs> so silphium um, was a plant that grew kind of exclusively in the Greek colony of Cyrene, which is actually modern day Libya. And it, I mean, the silphium was its main export until the plant went extinct. 
It was used all throughout the Mediterranean. It even fit, featured on Cyrene's money, their coins. And it was used for a lot of things. It was uh, used to season food. It was used to make perfume. But it was also used as a contraceptive. Unfortunately, thanks to extinction, uh, that means we don't know exactly the identity of this plant, you know, the, the botanical information. But based on the info that we have and the artistic representations and what we know about some other Mediterranean plants, it's very possible it's in the same plant family as Queen Anne's lace, which is our first sketchy herb on the list. Queen Anne's lace, you know, the big fluffy white flower with the teeny tiny little red flower. Uh, it's, a, it's a wild flower, it's a weed, it grows all over. It's associated with the element of water and the planets Pluto and Mars. It's, it's a Scorpio plant. It's very, <laughs> it's got lots of sharp points and a tiny little drop of blood. Or so it looks. While the flowers are often used in fertility spells, the seeds are what contain the chemicals that can prevent implantation and have been used in the past as almost like an herbal morning after pill. So if you want to do a spell or a ritual, you can do this, you know, the next morning or, or over three days after intercourse that you think might have led to pregnancy. Um, and in your spell and ritual, you could crush the seeds of the Queen Anne's Lace in a mortar or pestle in a ritualistic way or while praying. You can scatter those on a candle or a charcoal disc and, and burn them. You can incorporate those into your spell in any way, but I suggest doing the like kind of ceremonial like crushing. Seeds are really about fertility, right, and growth. So to crush it is to make it clear that you want to halt this particular growth. Next is one of my favorites, rue. <laughs> rue is a very protective plant, uh, usually used to safeguard homes and repel the evil eye. It's associated with Saturn and Mars and the element of fire. This is a real Aries plant. It's got lots of, lots of energy, fiery energy. Rue contains a chemical called rutin which occurs naturally alongside vitamin C in a lot of different plants and leaves and things, but rue is the largest source. So if you are trying to include it in some anti-fertility magic, what you can do is carry a sprig of rue or an image of it. You can get a chimaruta charm uh, and use this as a protective talisman and increase the effectiveness of the medical treatments you're doing alongside the spiritual stuff. You can also use it to block the evil eyes of protesters and anti-choice assholes who want to judge you. I think it's cool to grind dried rue into a powder. You can use very, very dry rue and grind it into a good powder, mix it with salt, and you can create kind of a magical barrier around you. So you and, and some of your, your coven, your gang, are protesting the protesters outside the abortion clinic. You can use this and create a circle of protection around you guys. Another very protective plant is Angelica. Angelica is ruled by Venus and aligned with Earth and water and the sign of Taurus. Its name makes it pretty obvious it's also associated with angels. <laughs> the roots are the part of the plant used as an abortifacient, so you can carry a whole root piece as a talisman. Hoodoo recipes for fiery wall of protection oils and candles contain Angelica and you can use these to work an uncrossing ritual to interrupt an unwanted pregnancy. This is why Angelica is actually associated with the fire element for a lot of practitioners. Either one's fine. Angelica's main magic, though, is courage. It gives you the courage to make a choice that's best for you and to carry that choice out. 
especially if the choice is hard or you don't have your rue powder to block the evil eye of assholes, Angelica can give you that strength to do what it is you need to do. Next is ginger, the ginger that you can eat. I love the shit out of ginger. <laughs> it is an amenagogue, and depending on the person, it can be an incredibly strong one. Some pregnant people can have ginger, and in fact, a lot of, you know, um, like pregnancy teas for morning sickness will contain ginger because it, it helps with nausea. But some pregnant people cannot because it can cause a miscarriage. Some people are more sensitive to it than others. In magic, this is a fiery Mars herb ruled by Aries. This is one you can ingest. You can cook with it. You can drink your favorite ginger beer, some Jamaican ginger ale, so good. And this can bring on your period if it's running a little bit late or if you're very, very close. And you can also, of course, include it in your magical work. Ginger is also a very sexy and sensual herb, so you can use it as part of a general focus on reproductive freedom as an extension of your your sex life, your sexual expression, your, you know, your sexual relationship with yourself. It can also help um, empower you if you faced any sort of shame or anti-choice assholes that, <laughs> that tried to make you feel uh, ashamed or guilty about your sexuality. This can help ease some of that pain and bust through it because it's bad ass. So parsley, Italian cooking parsley, is, is honestly one of the herbs on our list most associated with literal death. Queen Anne's Lace, though it's associated with the planet Pluto, is not really a death herb. It's, it's an herb that brings on changes. But parsley is an air element plant ruled by Mercury and was sacred to Persephone, queen of the underworld, also the god uh, Hermes or Mercury, who was a psychopomp. He, he led soul out of life and through to the land of the dead. And so parsley is considered kind of an herbal psychopomp. It's also associated with happy and empowered women. <laughs> Weird. So this is a really good herb if you need to say goodbye and can help you move forward in the future. Next, we have some warts, not warts, warts. <laughs> Specifically, motherwort, birthwort, and my fave, mugwort. Birth and motherwort can both be used during labor and deliver to ease childbirth, which means in large quantities, they have the power to disrupt a pregnancy. Both of these are great for you if you have to do any delivery during your procedure for comfort and for courage. Afterwards, they can be burned as incense or sprinkled onto candles to speed healing and soothe any emotional feelings you might be struggling with. I really associate these two, the birthwort and the motherwort, as allies for those who are not terminating a pregnancy by choice, or who are struggling with their decision, or are healing from the pain of an unwanted miscarriage. Mugwort is an abortifacient, so I can consume it in tea no problem, but it's completely unsafe for pregnant people who want to remain that way. This is a moon herb with fire and earth energy ruled by my, soul, my sun sign Capricorn. So this is the herb that you use if you want to beseech a deity or some sort of help from the universe. It opens our psychic senses, it allows us to communicate with spirits, with gods, goddesses, with the moon, etc. It's also got incredible cleansing powers and can be used to spiritually cleanse your home and yourself after any sort of difficult situation, much like you would burn white sage. 
This is one that I like to use to cleanse my home to clear out anything kind of negative, but it's got a, a decidedly more magical vibe to it. It helps me feel more connected to my spirituality while I'm doing some real cleansing. You can also factor moon phases into your spells. So full moons, uh, you know, they look incredibly quote unquote fertile, but they are technically really great for banishing and clearing out and making wishes. The new moon is really good for initiating changes. This is the time when you really usually bring something into your life, but there's no moon in the sky. So it can be considered kind of a, a barren quote unquote time, a dark time. Eclipses have a pretty powerful rush of magic that shakes shit up. So a solar, especially a solar uh, or lunar eclipse could also be very beneficial for any of these types of magic. So when it comes to magic rocks, I found three that I think can really help some of you who are working this kind of anti-fertility magic. The first is bloodstone or heliotrope. Now, of course, bloodstone, there is a very obvious connection there. Um, and it is, it can be used to, you know, bring on menstruation, to help with PMS, to deal with uh, periods and birth and stuff like that. It can also be used as a talisman uh, for people who are giving birth to keep up their strength. So again, if you need to do any sort of delivering through your medical treatment, this is one that can really help you through that process. It's also associated with, with family, with genetics. You know, it's, it's bloodstone. Blood isn't just physical blood. It's, it means a lot of other things to us. Bloodstone can be very comforting for people who have issues with motherhood or with their own mother or anything kind of associated with birth and genealogy. So if you have a difficult family, let's say you have a difficult family or upbringing, and that is one of the reasons you do not want children. Now, you don't have to want children in the end, but if that is an issue you want to work with, Bloodstone is a great stone for helping you through all of that and giving you a little bit of courage and comfort there. Next is Chrysocolla. Now, these two are two of my absolute favorite stones of all time, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. But the reason I chose Chrysocolla is because it's another stone that is associated with uh, menstruation, fetal health, labor pains, PMS, that kind of thing. It's really associated with, it's recommended to older women to cope with things like aging and uh, their physical beauty changing and becoming something new or their life changing in general it can help ease some of that transition. It can be very empowering for women in any sort of like business sense or job sense. It can be empowering for young women who are coming into a more mature age group quote-unquote mature. <laughs> and it's also a very protective stone from nosy neighbors and nosy people. This is another great one to kind of keep that stigma and that eye off of you while you're going through your treatment. It's also associated with infertility and not with causing infertility, but with I don't know, celebrating infertility might be the right word, maybe accepting. For some people, infertility is something they have to accept. For other people, infertility is something to celebrate. So this is a great stone when you are doing any sort of work with your birth control, with um, a surgery, a hysterectomy, anything like that that might work with this situation. So what I would do with 
Chrysocolla, it's, some, it's something that I wear. So I would wear it to your appointments. I would wear it to the pharmacy when you're buying things. I would wear it uh, to meditate on some of these issues. You can also use it as a crystal grid to charge up your birth control to really bring in that empowered uh, energy so that you can accomplish all of your goals. Finally, we have one that is not super common. This one's really for uh, other Michiganders and people in the Midwest. And this is Petoskey stone. Petoskey stone is, is a fossilized coral. Uh, it grows or grows, it grew in Michigan because this was an ancient seabed at one time. But Petoskey stone is really, really great for breaking free of interference and like pressure, social pressure, guilt inducing pressure uh, and overcoming prejudice about having different lifestyle choices. So if you don't want children, and I, I always think it's outrageous that some people have parents who constantly nag them about having children as if they're owed grandchildren. I'm very fortunate that my parents are not like this. But this is a stone that can help you deal with that kind of issue. Uh, it can help you deal with the judgmental people. And it's also very good at healing, healing the body and longevity and restoration. So it's a very good after the fact type stone to help you get back up on your feet. It can also help you increase your awareness of your true feelings in any situation, help you resolve old issues, um, past traumas, unfinished business, all of that. And it can be very good for researching family origins, um, dealing with problems within your family line, dealing with genetic issues, uh, bloodstone as well, and anything that's really to do with, um, with family, with the continuation of your species. So those are three stones that I think are really fantastic if you're doing any sort of magic this way. Now, I want to point out, because after I made this list, I realized this, that not a lot of these herbs and none of these crystals are specifically associated with death. Uh, they all have some sort of mention of the, the cycle of life, the, the connection to the cycle of life and death is a part of that. But you don't necessarily have to reach out for your scariest, sharpest, deathiest herbs when you're doing this kind of work. Same with crystals. I mean, things like obsidian that strengthen your root chakra and that help protect you and make you feel comfortable and safe and calm. Those are fantastic. And those are kind of obvious choices. These ones that I gave you were a little bit more specific for specific types of anti-fertility magic and for specific types of feelings and emotions and situations that come up around this topic. So now that I've made it clear that all of your anti-fertility magic does not have to revolve around death, we are going to talk about deities and a lot of them revolve around death. So buckle in. <laughs> Our first is Lilith and Lilith is the first one that comes to mind. Lilith is often thought of by modern witches as kind of the, the patron goddess of sex workers, of any sort of sexually liberated person and of abortion and uh, reproductive freedom. Lilith, um, I've told the story of Lilith before on the show, so I'm not going to go into humongous detail. But Lilith was the first wife of Adam in the Garden of Eden, and she was kicked out for being mouthy and saying that she had rights to and demanding that she also receive pleasure from sex. That was just the last straw, I guess. 
After she left Eden, she became associated with demons, vampires, the incubus and succubus. She was everything evil and nasty. She kidnapped babies. She caused miscarriages and spontaneous abortions. She was, she was just uh, altogether awful. Her modern story, of course, is one that is much more empowering. And I really love the version of this, this story where Lilith returns to the Garden of Eden later as a snake, as she has become a demon and shapeshifter already and tells Eve about the tree of knowledge, gives her the heads up. This is the tree of knowledge. If you eat from this, you have choice. So Lilith can be beseeched if you uh, are someone who works with deities, or her image, her archetype, her energy can be included in your spell, or you can make an altar to Lilith uh, to help you through any sort of reproductive or anti-fertility magic you are doing. So with Lilith, uh, some of her symbols are pomegranates and apples, snakes, Lions, owls, uh, red and black are very associated with Lilith. We've got the, the blood and the evil, right? <laughs> as well as uh, bats, bat wings especially. I also consider her a very kind of fiery demon. So she's someone that I, I demon, goddess, whatever, dark goddess. She's someone I really associate um, candles with. So candles are something that I often use with Lilith. Our next goddesses are going to go in a different direction here. Artemis was the Greek goddess, also known as Diana and Roman. She was the Greek goddess of chastity, of wilderness, of animals, the moon, the goddess of the hunt. She was a lifelong virgin. But along with Elithia, Artemis was one of the primary goddesses of childbirth and of midwifery. Artemis, I think, is a really great goddess to work with in this situation because she was all about making her own choice. She was the protector of young women, protector of women in childbirth. And despite the fact that she did not want children, she did not want to have sex, she was a virgin goddess, she helped other women through childbirth. Alithia was the main goddess of childbirth and of midwives. She was considered the protector of midwives specifically. And helped to ease some of the pains of childbirth. She also worked with the fates to create offspring, to create children, and often determined the duration of pregnancy. So she would be another one that you could beseech in this way. Now, as these two, as goddesses of the hunt and moon and midwives, respectively, you would use those kinds of symbols to beseech them. So with Artemis, you would have wild animals, wildness, anything that has to do with nature, as well as writing out your intentions and what it is that you really want from life. That's something I associate with Artemis. With Olivia, it could be about the actual process, about any sort of delivery or birth or physical aspect of the situation and helping that go as smoothly as possible. And then you would use fertility symbols, things like opened flowers and foods and fruits. You could combine, you know, the apples and pomegranates from the imagery of Lilith. Another very powerful goddess to beseech in your work is Hecate. She is the goddess of the crossroads, of sorcery, of magic, of the knowledge of herbs and poisonous plants. She is an excellent goddess for this. She is kind of a liminal goddess. You know, she, she walks between the land of the living and the land of the dead. She can go between the two. Some of her symbols are crossroads where people face decisions, uh, f dark forest paths, 
the moon in many, many forms <laughs> represents Hecate, but of course, the waning and the, the new moon are really her time. She is a very multi-purpose and very powerful goddess in general. She would be fantastic to talk to about infertility, about um, getting older, about anything to do with many menopause or uh, sterilization. Also, uh, she can help you make decisions. You know, you've come to this this crossroads. So if you want to beseech Hecate in some of your work, you can use symbols like keys, um, a torch, a lit torch, dogs. Dogs are definitely her her style. She loves dogs. Um, and the dark moon and the crescent moon. Oftentimes she is perceived or shown as all the goddesses existing in kind of one form. She she fits all of these different criteria. The real gift of Hecate in this situation is leading you through choices, through darkness, out to the other side, uh, and existing in this way that she can go from the living to the dead, to the dead to the living. Finally, we have Santa Muerte. Santa Muerte is a Mexican folk saint. Um, she, you've probably seen her for sure. She looks a lot like the Virgin Mary, like Our Lady of Guadalupe, except she is a skeleton. So beautiful. And she's gotten very, very popular recently. Um, but she is considered the patron saint of car cartels, criminals, and of the forgotten, the lost, disenfranchised, hated, and despised. So often she's considered a patron for sex workers, for those in the LGBTQIA community, for anyone who's mentally ill, who is incredibly poor, women who've been victimized, people with addiction issues, and anyone who needs her aid. Santa Muerte is someone that will come to anyone without judgment. And that is really what makes her so popular for these oppressed peoples. She is, of course, associated with death. She's often called Our Lady of Death. She can be called on without any sort of moral judgment for any sort of situation. So if you are looking for someone to pray to in the event that you find yourself pregnant when you don't want to be, if you are looking for guidance towards resolution, if you are looking for a protector in this kind of situation, Santa Muerte is your girl. So to bring her in, you can use symbols like uh, skulls, marigolds or calendula, the scythe, that you see often accompanying death, and crystal balls. Sometimes you can also find images of her standing on a crescent moon and surrounded by roses. So these are also really good symbols to work with Santa Muerte. Now, any sort of deity that you feel is very protective and that you feel is very empowering for you to help you reach your goals and to help you be who you want in life is going to be a great deity to help you out with any sort of issue like this. These are just a few that kind of, you know, specialize. <laughs> so I hope some of this information gave you a little more insight into the history of witches and witchcraft and how it got tied in with, with feminism and with feminist ideals. And also some words, uh, ways to work with anti-fertility magic if you find yourself in a situation of needing it. Now, I'm going to say it again. None of that was medical advice. Do not put those things in your body. <laughs> not unless you know them, except for like the ginger and parsley, which are pretty much safe most of the time. <laughs> Don't put them in your body. Do not consume them. Do not consume poisons. And do not trust just magical rituals to interrupt a pregnancy, to end a pregnancy, or to help you um, 
physically and medically deal with any sort of issues of fertility or anti-fertility. It's to be used along with it, not in place of medicine. Just making sure. Thank you all so much for tuning into the Fat Feminist Witch today. Next week, I've got another episode coming up. I'm not skipping a week. It will be January the 16th, and I've got a really big announcement. I am... I am talking about the book that I wrote. So next week, I am announcing the book officially, putting the link out there, showing off the cover, and I'm going to start sharing little bits and pieces, tidbits from the book, sharing some of the exercises. I've got some videos ready to go, and I've got some other fun stuff that we can do over the next month or so to celebrate the book coming out before February 25th. So tune in next week, Thursday the 16th, for that. You can also find any information starting next week on my website and on my social media pages. So you can go to thefatfeministwitch.com and find The Fat Feminist Witch all across social media, especially Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that by going going to patreon.com slash thefatfeministwitch and join the witchin' bitch. It's our private monthly membership group where we do a lot of behind-the-scenes witchcraft and we get together for full moon nights and things like that. Lots of live meetups. You can, you can also uh, go to my website and click buy me a coffee to make a small one-time donation. All of that money does go towards the podcast, towards keeping it up, towards paying any sort of fees that I've got going on, and towards purchasing materials that are being put out all the time by other witches. So I don't just get everything I talk about for free. A lot of it I do buy so that I'm paying it forward to the rest of the witch community. Just in case you were wondering where your money went to. Tomorrow, January the 10th, which is a Friday, we have a full moon and we also have a lunar eclipse. Now, the lunar eclipse is not going to be visible from North America, but the energy is still going to be out there. So check out your favorite uh, astrological websites and horoscopes to see what kind of interesting energy will be at your disposal tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you all have a wonderful full moon eclipse in Cancer. And I hope that you tune in next week to hear all about my brand new book, what you can find in it, and where to get it. I'm pretty excited, you guys. I hope you really like it.